Nature Reserve is located 700 kilometers from Moscow and just 20 kilometers from the ancient city of Kazan. Locals rarely call it by that name. More often they'll say, I've been to Raifa. There's the Raifa Monastery of Our Lady next to a beautiful lake. The name is now used for both the lake and one of the two parts of the Volga Kama Reserve. The reserve's director, Yuri Garshkov, and the monastery's superior, Archimandrite Vsevolod, are friends. They've been working together since the monastery was returned to the church and started functioning again. There were some dark episodes in the monastery's history. It was founded in the 17th century by a monk called Filaret. After the revolution, it was turned into a labor camp for miners. Finally, in 1990, it was handed back to the church. By then it was in poor shape, in urgent need of repair. Local people took matters into their own hands. They gathered together and rebuilt it. The monastery currently houses 20 monks and an equal number of novices. It also has an orphanage for boys. The history of the nature reserve hasn't been straightforward either. Three attempts were made to establish it, but each time something got in the way. First, there was the revolution. Then the government was opposed to reserves as a matter of policy, often converting them into industrial areas instead. Now, it's impossible to separate the monastery from the reserve. We simply respect and understand each other. We understand the environmental situation in our country. Therefore, naturally, we have many interests in common. The monastery helps the reserve, and the reserve helps the monastery. This is very good. In fact, this is unique. We pray for the reserve's employees, and we pray for its visitors. And what the workers do here is more than just a job. It's both a service to nature and to humanity. The monastery and the nature reserve have an agreement. Workers at the reserve purify the lake water. In return, the monks let the reserve use the monastery's assembly hall for conferences. The superior is a member of the reserve's scientific council, but his outlook on the world remains theological. There are frogs living in this lake. They're regular frogs, but they don't croak. 200 years ago, legend has it, a monk called Theodol asked God a favor. He asked him to allow the frogs to stay in the lake, but to stop them from croaking. He complained that the croaking was louder than the church bells and interfered with the monk's prayers. A television crew from France came to report on these unique frogs, and while they were here, not a single croak was heard. 
As soon as the visitor arrives, the environmental education begins. One can learn about the various kinds of fish that swim in Lake Raifa, about the animals that live in the woods here, and about the flowers that grow on the reserve. According to the reserve's director, a single visit to the temple is enough to stop most people from leaving rubbish in the forest or throwing empty bottles into the lake. The cooperation between the reserve and the monastery has a long history. It's thanks to the monastery that Raifa Forest has been made a nature reserve. Before the revolution, the forest belonged to the monastery and woodcutting was restricted. Forest clearing was prohibited and monks only cut what they needed for heating. That's why the forest has been preserved. The nature reserve has the oldest forest in Europe, with trees dating back 300 years. And that's not its only unique feature. In one small area, containing some 4,000 trees, there are examples of every kind of tree from the wooded areas of Europe. A five-kilometer walk will take you through a forest of oaks and lime. Next come the spruce and pine trees. After that, it's the conifers, spruce, fir, and more pine. Finally, you enter a 100% pine forest. This place has its own microclimate, too. It's colder and damper than surrounding areas. Since this is a reserve, everything should be natural. We don't have a right to interfere. We just look at areas that are available for observation. Let me give you an illustration. About four years ago, there was a big storm here. Strong winds uprooted these trees. We had to educate the local population. We told them we couldn't interfere. We only observed the situation. Sometimes we have a bear or a lynx here. Since the forest is not large, this scares away the locals. For us, this is extra protection. We can be sure people won't trespass. Anvar can walk through the forest without making a sound. It means he doesn't scare the birds away. Every week, he goes to the woods to register birds. He knows their calls and can forecast weather based on their behavior. If winter is going to be cold, some birds store up more food than usual. For instance, we just saw a jay. If you see a jay storing up lots of acorns, this usually means it's going to be a cold and snowy winter. Ornithologists pay special attention to the white-tailed eagle. This bird is on the international red list of endangered species. It's also the reserve's emblem. It builds its nest in the other parts of the reserve, which are 100 kilometers away. Nowhere else in Europe has as many white-tailed eagles. There are eight couples living here, on 4,000 hectares. They like this area because food is plentiful. Both the Volga and the Kama rivers are rich in fish. It's illegal for people to fish here, so the eagles are the only ones hunting them. Yet. People here know what kind of fish live in their rivers, even the children. Carp, pike, asp. It's unlikely that visitors to the nature reserve will be lucky enough to see every kind of animal that lives here. This is where the local museum can be a great help. The reserve is fortunate in having its own taxidermist.
Here's a man who can make an exhibit out of a frozen ruff. But it's a lengthy and complex process, not merely a question of applying a coat of paint. Once it's been gutted and had its scales removed, the fish is pickled in a special solution for a month or so. After that, it's dried for another two weeks. Only then is it ready to paint. stuffed versions of practically every species here, all made by Yevgeny Prokhorov. He remembers how each and every animal came into his hands. This owl was found by students near the University of Kazan. The beaver died of a twisted bowel. The sea eagle was picked up during a winter bird count. Scientists don't know why it died. It was in the snow when we found it. We tried our best to discover the cause of death. We took samples, tested its muscles, but failed to find anything. It appeared well-fed. The stomach was normal, clear of pesticides. We found no traces of poison. The tests were carried out at a good lab, here in Kazan. Nothing was found. It's been a while since the taxidermist finished this white-tailed eagle but he's yet to find the right eyes. Such things are hard to find, either here in Russia or abroad. Here they are from Soviet times. These are for a wood grouse. They're a bit too small for this one. They're domestically manufactured, but haven't been available for a long time. And these little ones are for a red pole, a bullfinch. The bigger ones are for a woodpecker. Yevgeny Prokhorov knows the eyes of each and every species. He's in charge of the reserve's records. Yevgeny has walked and ridden thousands of kilometers, covering every inch of the reserve's territory. He's recorded unique moments of wildlife in his videos. Walk several kilometers through the snow-covered woods and you reach beaver country. It isn't hard to tell that beavers live here. Trees have been knocked down and nibbled at, and the small rivers have dams. Yevgeny says the beaver is the only animal to alter the environment to its own needs. From ancient times, beavers had been exploited in Russia. A whole industry was built around them. Back then, people hunted beaver without wiping them out. They'd take a proportion from each district, but left enough to ensure the species survived. The dams built by beavers are known to regulate the water levels in rivers and lakes. These industrious mammals even build canals to control the movement of water. For centuries, men have been relying on the technical skills of the beaver to manage water flow. The management of the nature reserve is continuing the tradition. 
The industries all around here release vast quantities of toxic waste into the environment. Lake Raifa was disappearing fast, shrinking in size and becoming shallow. The reserve enlisted the help of beavers. That was 10 years ago. They shipped them in from other regions. The local ones had been wiped out in the 19th century. But the new ones wasted no time in getting to work, and they were soon building dams. These in turn acted as filters, blocking harmful toxins from reaching the waterways. As a result of this work, the dying rivers returned to life. Residential areas surround the Volga Kama Nature Reserve. Many have factories and industrial estates. Keeping the lake free of pollution isn't easy. During the annual spring floods, around 60 tons of hazardous waste flows into Lake Raifa in a two-week period. Preserving protected reservoirs is an expensive business, and the biggest problem is finding the money. The funding that comes from the state budget is rarely enough. It's clear that the money allocated to the Volga Kama Nature Reserve isn't enough to have all the work done. It's the same story with the reserves elsewhere. That's why the Kama Reserve competes for every bit of funding it can get. Last year, we backed a security initiative there. We also helped out with renovating their museum and reorganizing their office. In addition, we provided funds for the dendrology garden. We hope this cooperation will continue in the future. The reserve's been recognized by UNESCO. That's the United Nations Educational, Science and Cultural Organization. It's been given special status in its Man and the Biosphere program. The reserve's director, Yuri Garshkov, hopes this will protect Raifa from the dangers posed by the advancing industrial zone. Yuri also has high hopes for his son, Dmitri. After graduating from university, Dmitri continued his studies at a postgraduate level, finally completing a doctoral thesis. Now, Dmitri and his family have settled on the reserve. Dmitri says by living in the forest, he saves time commuting to and from work. We Gorshkovs have nine biologists already, but we all work in different fields. We have biochemists, botanists, zoologists and ecologists. Some of us work with crops, others on the physiology of humans and animals. That looks like Dmitri's five-year-old daughter, Anastasia Gorshkova. You don't need to ask what she'll do when she grows up, it's obvious. She already knows quite a lot about both animals and plants. Sometimes she goes to the forest with me. Living in the reserve is an education in itself. It teaches her to understand nature. Dmitri also finds time for hobbies. His photographs make great gifts for friends and acquaintances. They can't believe the restless Dmitri can spend hours hiding in the woods with his camera, waiting to take a picture of marmots kissing or the surprised look on the face of a baby elk. 
Dmitri's appetite for invention has a playful side too. His field of research is beavers, and he decided to invent a beaver story for April Fool's Day. The story was broadcast by regional television. It was about beavers that had settled in the reserve and multiplied in great numbers. Measures were needed to get rid of some of them. Hunting was the obvious solution, but that's banned on the reserve. So it was decided to use a biological method instead. In short, American alligators were let loose in Raifa. The story was backed up with good scientific arguments. It touched a nerve with the public. Many viewers were outraged. They, of course, were the ones who'd forgotten it was April Fool's Day. Those who got the joke enjoyed it enormously. All in all, it was a great success and we had a lot of fun. Good day. Hello. Today I'm going to tell you about the Red Bull. Dimitri and other workers at the reserve often come here. It's a specialized vocational school for juvenile criminals. Once it occupied monastic buildings. Now it's located nearby, close to the monastery and the reserve. It's hard to believe that these children are criminals. Some had never tasted an orange before they came here. Others were used to sleeping on rugs and slept on beds with sheets for the first time the night they arrived. The children are tough. They come from poor families and are socially disadvantaged. Their parents don't want them, neither does anyone else. The state alone tries to take care of them through boarding schools like this. These children are members of street gangs. They're outcasts who steal and use violence. Some have been convicted of rape and murder. Boys aged between 13 and 17 graduate from the school with a trade. They're taught to be turners, plumbers, bricklayers, carpenters and joiners. The headmaster sets just one goal for each child, to lead a life free of crime after graduation. Sadly, it's rarely achieved. The boys are hostile and distrustful. We must do all we can to make the child's soul warmer and softer. Usually when they come here, they don't trust grown-ups. It takes a huge effort to convince them the adults here are different, that normal relationships are possible. It's hard to make them see it's normal to live without committing crime, that most people live that way. The location of the special school, next to the monastery and the reserve, is a great help to the teachers. The teenagers enjoy visiting the museum and spending time in the gardens. They keep the area clear of litter. The youngsters still remember how they worked alongside staff at the reserve, planting trees to reinforce the banks of the river. They needed a little help at first. Planting trees isn't as straightforward as you might think. Of course, walks in the forest could give an unhappy teenager the perfect opportunity to escape. But the truth is, most of these boys have nowhere to go. That's why this place is free of barbed wire and observation towers. It's not like a real prison.
It's something the headmaster feels strongly about. He says the ancient forest and the monastery, and being in touch with the people here, benefits the boys enormously. He believes this environment is more likely to help a confused child find his path in life than a strict prison regime. Vladimir Kostyukhin was born here too. As a child, he watched from his window as elks came out of the forest. When the Nature Reserve's director suggested he join the Grey Woodpeckers Environmental Club, he jumped at the chance. Several of us men got together and agreed to take part. It so happened that we all had grey hair. That's how the club got its name. Three years ago, the reserve came up with a very unusual idea. They suggested setting up an organization that could help run the reserve. The members would be prominent local people who were interested in the environment. We backed it to the hilt. Now the club helps protect the restricted area and works on implementing important decisions. The Grey Woodpeckers help the nature reserve in many ways, from organizing the New Year and Christmas tree celebrations to guarding Lake Karaifa. A sense of mystery surrounds the society. All their meetings are held in secret, away from women. It's rumored the reserve's director promotes this image to encourage contributions and to make membership of the club prestigious. Yuri Garshkov often campaigns amongst his employees and neighbors. He leads by example. On the Great Orthodox Feast of the Epiphany, he's usually amongst the first to jump into the ice hole on Lake Raifa. Beside him stretches a queue of people waiting for their turn. Not all of them get on at once. It's been a warm winter and the ice is too thin. The fonts are prepared beforehand. Artists make their traditional epiphany sculptures out of lumps of ice. Their thickness depends on how thick the ice is that year. This winter, the lake didn't freeze much, so the ice town isn't very thick. All this is for the biggest celebration in Raifa, the Epiphany procession. Led by Vsyevolod, the monks walk to the lake. They're followed by the parishioners. Congratulations to all! The ceremony is popular, drawing people from near and far. They come from local villages and from places hundreds of kilometers away. They all bring empty containers. Some bring small bottles, while others carry huge jerry cans. Holy water from the Raifa monastery is in demand all year round. On special feast days, the queues can be two hours long. 
In the three days after Epiphany, every drop of water on the planet is considered holy. We perform a special prayer service, during which the descending Holy Spirit blesses the water, and the same service is performed in the chapel. Vladimir is a doctor who works in the monastery. He says the water here is very healthy. There's no denying it's incredibly tasty. Locals believe its special quality is partly due to the fact that the water tank is in the bell tower. People queue to take it home, carrying heavy bottles for their friends and relatives. Everyone prays for a miracle.